Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I am recording this podcast and probably for the near future uh, with lines on my screen. My screen is fucked. And in the words of Public Enemies Chuck D, bring the noise. FM Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor, and this is what's good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in circumstances. This is just what I needed. This is just what I needed. My life was just going so fucking well. I just needed something to just bring, take me down to earth. That's what I needed in my life. Uh, so it was like 2 a.m. a couple of days ago. I was just writing, um, like half, half writing, half chilling, you know what I mean? Just doing stuff. And um, my screen just just goes crazy. right? For those that don't know photography, there's a concept called double exposure, where you take one photo and then you take another photo on top of the photo and it looks, you know, obviously two photos are one, right? Um, that's what it looked like for my screen. So my, my screen looked like it took a screenshot of itself and then was just like a film. Like just it was a film over what was already going on, so as you can imagine, with a bunch of text on my uh, as I was writing, all the text just looked just distorted and blur and, and like just jarring. It just looked jarring, right? The words were like doubling up; they just looked weird, right? All the lines were just meshing into into each other. It was crazy. So I was just looking at that, and I was like. Well, whoopty fucking do. That's just great. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to like look into it. I'm like, you know, I refresh the page and it doesn't really help. And now every time I open up my laptop screen, it's something completely different. It could be either uh, black horizontal lines going from top to bottom. It can look like my screen has cataracts and just everything is a weird shade of white and grey. Looks like my screen is going blind. Um, now, right now, it is um, just a mixture of white lines just uh, scattered across the uh, scattered across the screen. Um, some of them more defined than others. Some of them look like kind of ghostly. Some of them look very just clear white, not transparent at all. So I have no idea what's fucking going on. Um, try to troubleshoot. Um, I don't think it's a driver's issue. I don't think it's not a GPU or motherboard issue. Connected up to my TV for HDMI, and it turned out very fine on my TV. No lines, no nothing. So it's purely the screen. I know that for sure. Um, I personally think it's uh, something to do with the cable. Um, uh, uh, something cable, I forget what the name is uh but yeah the cable that connects you know the screen to everything else um i'm thinking it's that i don't know if it's just loose or whatever the, th- the funny thing was i was i don't do anything out the ordinary with my laptop i'm not i'm very safe with my laptop um i feel i have it on a i have it on a little stand it's like leaning the keyboard leans forward for me helps me type better right much better right um you know i I don't exactly bend, I don't touch the screen, it's not a touch screen, so that's not an issue, I don't touch the screen, apart from, you know, when I flick it up to open it, and put it back down to close it, that's literally all I do, so yeah, here we are, me looking at, um, me just looking at my screen, and it's just a weird shades of white, and um, I bet at some point during this recording, it's just going to get weirder, and something's going to happen, and uh, I'm just... Uh, I'm just not in the mood for this. I'm just not. I'm just not in the mood for any of this. Um, so anyway, that's my week. That's been my few, past few days, especially. Um, so yeah, let's just jump into the show. I have nothing else. Almost <laughs> before we begin, email, socials, writing, all that in the full show notes, as well as the music and other podcasts under the five EPN. And with that said, let the beat drop. And let's get into the show.
in a week where wildfires in Hawaii kills uh, 90 plus people. The number is sure to rise as they go through the wreckage and all the fires and all the rubble. Uh, it was the deadliest wildfire in US history. Um, a lot of things going on in Hawaii right now and uh, it's really a microcosm of just uh, US colonialism um, and it's very unfortunate. And I think uh, Joe Biden said today as I record that he's going to give everybody $700 and I'm just like, what? To, what's that going to do? <laughs> like, is that going to rebuild the whole place? No, it's not. So, um, even though you know Hawaii is technically a U.S. state, it's it's occupied territory, like, and they're treating it as such. Anyway, uh, the UK government announces crackdown on gender-neutral toilets because that's what we need right now. That's the, that everything else is fine. Now we just need to crack down the small things like gender-neutral toilets. Exactly. There you go. Perfect. Well done, Tory government. Good as always. Uh, black godfather Clarence Avant dies aged 92. Sam Bankman fried is indicted on charges for donating $100 million in stolen customer funds to US politicians. Um, I wonder if the US politicians will have to give that money back. Um, I bet they won't have to because politicians make their own rules uh, for themselves. And uh, if they get money, they keep that shit. Because why would they give it back? Fairness? <laughs> Good faith? Uh-huh. Good one. And lastly... Donald Trump is indicted for a fourth time. This one is uh, pertaining to the state of Georgia. It's a state case. It's going to be televised. Um, so yeah, have, uh, I know I know all of news media in the US and around the world are fucking got the largest of bonus for that. They can't wait for that shit. That's going to be the most viewed fucking case since OJ, most likely. Um, so yeah, that's going to be fun. But let's begin uh, with with the internet segment on the internet so every year or so every 18 months i feel there's just like a new it's like a new shopping app you know what i mean where they just sell you cheap shit most random shit and uh you know and then it's just you know and people just buy off it for whatever reason um you know we had wish back in the it was still still there but you know wish uh, AliExpress, I don't know if that's still a thing, or change, the name changed or whatever. Um, what was the other one? Uh, there's plenty of others, right? Shein is a good one for, you know, clothing, um, very fast fashion on that front. Um, but, you know, the new one is Timu. And um, Timu, Chinese app um, that just sells you, again, just random shit. And apparently they sell knives, as this article from the Byline Times uh, <laughs> talks about uh, this is by Catherine Denkinson. Uh, it's called Back to School Knives, the dark underbelly of influencers' favorite new shopping app. So let's jump right in. Timu is the newest discount sales app to hit the market, following the footsteps of Wish and AliExpress. There you go. In the last six months, hundreds of influencers in the US and UK have taken to social media, proudly showing off discount hauls of mass-produced plastic to thousands of followers. But is Timu all they claim to be? I wonder the environmental impact all these fucking places have. Like, all the plastic wrapping and just all the... Just random shit that they build that people just buy and then use and then fucking bin it after a year. Just don't give a fuck. Um, it's just absurd. Anyway, um, offering everything from chastity cages to hats for hens. Hats for hens. Sorry, hats for hens. And chastity cages. I just didn't even... See, hats for hens were so absurd, I completely skipped over chastity cages. What the fuck are chassis cages? Okay. Um, the Chinese app has recently raised concerns from parents with a back-to-school sale, uh, which includes knives and concealable weapons. <laughs> a Byline Times investigation can reveal this to be one of many issues with the company, whose data-gathering policy, questionable sales practices, and insidious marketing techniques have led the US to consider banning it completely. If you use Facebook, you will likely have encountered... Timu's trademark orange advertisements, a one-stop shop for everything you never knew you never needed. Their main gimmick is ridiculously low prices, with many, with many products costing less than a pound. Their explanation for such bargains is that they operate as a middleman between sellers and customers, thus keeping operating costs to a minimum and ensuring that knives and everything else they sell are made and stored by other companies. Fans across the social, various social media platforms, um, and, you know, 
for people like, you know, tech YouTubers like Austin Evans and shit like that, it does kind of piss me off that they just constantly just do these videos. I, I wonder what they do with all of it. They they they, they spend they spend a uh, like you know they have a ten to fifteen minute video where they just open open packs for shit and and what I, I, I always wonder what they do with all of it I really do it just jars me um, fans across social media various social media platforms uh, regularly extol the virtues of Timu sharing reels and posts showcasing their latest buys and challenging the idea that Timu is a scam. Dig a little deeper, and the reason for such loyalty becomes apparent. Alongside their cheap products, Timu runs a number of affiliate marketing schemes. La di da, who knew? Offering influencers the chance to quote earn up to 100k a month, unquote. They provide discounts and free products to creators who post links to the website, write reviews of the app, and share their shopping hauls on social media. To boost their reach even further, the company has swamped Facebook with hundreds of ads, most of which are hosted by fake Facebook accounts and linked to equally fake Instagram profiles. Indeed, the only reliable appraisals of Timu that we could find came from negative reviews on Trustpilot and the Better Business Bureau. Customers on both sides noted the poor product quality, non-existent customer service and alleged tendency for Timu to take payment for products they had not purchased. A recent Better Business Bureau, I'm going to say Triple B if it ever comes back um, back around, Better Business Bureau, because it's just jarring to say, uh, complaint also highlighted the, quote, realistic-looking handgun, unquote, which the site was selling as part of their back-to-school promotion. A representative from Timu responded to this complaint, saying, quote, we are sorry for the inconvenience, we have checked the details you provided, and can confirm that our customer service department has emailed you and offered you a resolution and a compensation plan. We will continuously improve our advertisement to avoid further misunderstandings where hundreds of knives remain on sale as part of the same promotion, unquote. Um, and, this, it, and this is obviously crazy, the fact they're selling knives for cheap, right? Um, and weapons for cheap. But um, you know, even even smaller things like fake Pokemon cartridges, like, it's just, they're just constantly, everything's just... 90% of it is just a scam in my eyes. So it's just, it's, it's absurd. I don't know why people shop there. My mum mentioned it a few, a couple of months ago and I was just like, mum, don't do it. Just please don't, don't go on those. Don't go on Wish. Don't go on AliExpress. I understand they are cheap. I understand they just look good. But you know, she went to, uh, she got like, um, she bought shoes and something else from another place for like a fiver and she never got them. Um, so um, hopefully that lesson just sticks in her mind for the rest of time because you know, I've been scammed before. I've been scammed before. You know, I've I've bought something. I, I can't think of a specific re- uh, one, but you know, I've bought something online, and uh, and it came out just crap, and or I didn't ever get it. It is what it is. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, just have to get get used to that. It happens sometimes. We all we're all culprit of it, but you know, it's a bit it's a bit stupid when you're just going to Timu, Wish, AliExpress. Like if it's something that you haven't heard of and it just looks too good. Um, well, that's the that's the that's the, the saying, isn't it? If it's too good to be true, it probably is. Anyway, team in terms of conditions state a customer should be eight oh, should be eighteen years of age to set up an account, but the sign up process requires no proof. Unlike Amazon, which states age verification will be required to receive packages containing knives, etc. Which I have bought. I bought a. Uh, I literally have one right now. Uh, well, on my table, it's a little Gerber knife. Um, little little uh, you know, just like a little pocket knife. I used to just basically open shit um but that's kind of it but yeah it's handy and uh you know yeah i got id'd when i got it about the package it makes sense um anyway uh timu has no such safeguards despite numerous reviews noting the poor quality of timu uh many timu products videos on youtube clearly show how sharp and potentially dangerous these knives can be and there are screenshots on the uh on the uh, on this uh, article that you can see uh patrick green CEO of the Ben Kinsella Trust, which works to tackle knife crime, told Byline Times, quote, it is totally unacceptable that dangerous knives and other bladed articles uh, are being openly marketed as back-to-school accessories. It is important to remember that, that knives such as these bring tragedy and heartache to hundreds of families each year. It is against the law to sell knives to anyone under the age of 18, yet this site appears to have insufficient safeguards in place to stop this happening. By openly advertising these knives as school accessories, this unscrupulous site is seeking to lure young people into breaking the law. He added that irresponsible marketing of knives is a quote-unquote contributing factor in the normalising of knife carrying among young people. These knives should be removed from the from this website with immediate effect. Timu operates as a subsidiary of Whale Co., 
which in itself it which is itself a subsidiary of Chinese agriculture company Pin Duo Duo, now known as PDD Holdings. Very well, very. <laughs> I love how it just went from something very cartoony to literally just the most corporate fucking name ever. PDD Holdings. There is Pin Duo Duo, who made uh, $383 billion last year. PDD's own sales app was removed from Google Play stores earlier this year when it was revealed that the app was asking for 83 permissions, including access to biometric data, Bluetooth, and information about users' Wi Fi networks. Timu asks for far fewer permissions, but it is unclear how these are used or whether they are being sold to third parties. Negative customer reviews revealed that orders to Timu have resulted in them being quote unquote inundated with spam and quote unquote bombarded with phishing emails. PH phishing, obviously. Timu responded to all of these complaints with the same cut and paste text Hello, we greatly appreciate your feedback and are happy to assist with any questions or concerns you may have. Customer satisfaction is the uh, is of the utmost importance, and we are constantly working to improve our service quality. If you have any additional questions or concerns, please message us on our timu.com or timu app live chat. Best wishes, best wishes, timu team. The timu privacy policy is equally opaque, requiring users to sign up to the site before they can read it. Oh, that's great. That's 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 top tier. That's top tier. That's that's some top tier scamming. <laughs> sign up to the site before you can read it. Outstanding. Uh, having circumnavigated this via an archive site, we were able to locate their full policy, including their suggestion that, quote, we may offer features that help you invite your friends or contacts to use the service and with your permission, we may collect information from your contacts list to help you send invitations, unquote. Most of their data collection clauses include the Codicil? 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 I think so you say it. With your permission, but given customer complaints, it seems this does not always work. PDD moved to their base of op- moved their base of operations from Boston, Massachusetts to Dublin at the end of last year, and since December have set up four UK offices, two under the Wellco name, one as Timu Price Down, and one as Pinduoduo Limited. Their Wellco offices operate from a building which also houses the Agricultural Bank of China, whilst their team office, office address, address is a luxury apartment in South Bank Towers. In contrast to these, the address of Pinduoduo Limited leads to a tiny industrial estate in Warrington. I love how just scammy this is. I love it. It's just, oh, it just stinks of scam. I love it. Uh, these 80, their 80,000 sellers are primarily based in China. But a uh, select U.S. Select Committee meeting from last year uh, examined these steps, the steps Timu had taken to comply with forced labor laws in relation to products from the Xinjiang area, uh, and noted that, quote, there is an extremely high risk that Timu supply chains are contaminated with forced labor. No, you don't say. You don't fucking say. Really? Couldn't have guessed that. The report also noted that the company had failed to provide, quote, even the facade of a meaningful compliance program, unquote. A private member's bill to ban the import of products made with forced labour in Xinjiang is currently on its second reading in the House of Commons. Um, before I continue on, is it, is it, is it, um, you know, obviously uh, there's some US states that have banned TikTok and stuff like that. And I, I, you know, I've talked about that before, you know, for like, you know, TikTok and especially their parent company or their, yeah, or their Chinese version anyway called Douyin, uh, where they just do some demonic shit on there, right? Um, as it pertains to people's data, but um, this this is this could be banned, right? I feel like this is just worth banning wholesale. Um, I just don't f- I don't feel like there's any benefit. I know TikTok obviously you know is kind of just a thing where it's kind of just too large to ignore now. But you can ban Timu. Like there are you know banning scam websites and scam consumer websites such as this. I don't think this is a this is something that people can quibble over. Uh, you know what I mean? Oh, I wanna I want my one pound knife. Like what do you what are you the fuck are you talking about? Nobody relies on this so heavily. It's a fucking consumer website. It it doesn't matter. Just ban this shit wholesale. I I, I don't know if I'm being knee jerk here and I'm missing something, but I feel like this is just an easy slam dunk. Ban this shit. Anyway. Government spokesperson said, quote, the sale of knives to under-18s is completely unacceptable. We continue to do everything in our power to tackle knife crime. Since 2019, we have removed over 100,000 knives and offensive weapons from our streets and have recently announced proposals to ban the sale and possession of zombie-style knives and machetes. 
Under the online safety bill, the government will also introduce measures requiring platforms to identify and take down content relating to the sale of offensive weapons and knives to under-18s. The spokesperson said for the Advertising Standards Authority, told by yeah, told the Byline Times, uh, I keep saying the, but there's no the in Byline Times, but anyway, they were not currently investigating the ads, but added, quote, while the advertising code doesn't have a specific section on weapons, where they can be legally sold and advertised, our rules require advertisers to advertise them responsibly. We understand that certain weapons, including specific type of knives, cannot be legally sold or advertised, and these products should therefore never be advertised. And if we become aware of examples such, of such advertising, we would refer them to the relevant law enforcement bodies, unquote. However, they called for advertisers to, quote, carefully consider how they advertise any type of legally available knife, ensuring that such ads are not targeted towards children, unquote. Oh, another quote. The content, <laughs> context and immediate placement of ads for products that can legally uh, be sold and advertised should always be in line with the CAP code, including ensuring ensuring that targeting is appropriate and that ads are socially responsible. We encourage anyone with concerns about ads they've seen to get in touch, the ASA spokesperson said. The Offensive Weapons Act of 2019 included new measures for knife offensive, making it offence to possess certain offensive weapons in private, and stopping knives being sent to residential residential addresses after they are bought online. Unnecessarily has arrangements in place with the delivery company to ensure that the product would not be delivered into the hands of a person under 18. The government has been consulted on plans to outlaw certain machetes, saying so-called zombie style, uh, for several weeks. Uh, the consultation closed on 6th of June this year, and ministers are expected to respond in due course. Under the online safety bill currently uh, going through Parliament, online uh, platforms need to be put in place systems and processes uh, to identify and take down content with, which they believe breaches offences uh, listed in Schedule 7 of the bill. This list includes offensive relating to the sale of offensive weapons and sale of knives under 18. However, the bill faces an uncertain future and has been heavily delayed. Under the bill, Ofcom as the regulator, which I'm surprised... Uh, Ofcom just really just fuck all sometimes, I tell you. Like, I feel like Ofcom just does nothing. Why is GB, why is GB News still exist? Anyway, um, will be required to design codes of practice setting out the steps that companies can take to comply with the safety dues and publish guidance on legal content judgments. Ofcom will then be able to enforce against social media sites for failing to have adequate systems and processes to remove illegal content, including activity relating to priority offences. And the quintessential reporter thing to put at the end, Timu did not respond to requests for comment. <laughs> Which, I could have just told you that, and and that would be it, right? If they don't respond, then yeah, it's clearly just, uh, they're clearly just, you know, it's it's something it's something shady, but um, yeah, I just I just found this kind of hilarious that just how easy this is. I always find that how easy it is to just get shit online, um, but Jesus Christ, back to school knives! Come on, man, come on! What are we doing here? What are we doing here? Let's hop on to music, and uh, this is a piece that I've uh, that I just, you know, I found um, as I was, um, you know, just looking about living life in, online, and um, this is something that uh, I've kind of wanted to talk about for a while, but I probably have before. Um, definitely on DITD, I've talked about it, but maybe not on here. But this is a very explicit way of talking about it, um, and this comes off the back of Ice Cube um, back in the news um, after he inexplicably just um was fucking getting pally with tucker carlson um and taking him through the streets of la um just for whatever reason and uh yeah they just uh apparently they did a chat you know what i mean just talking about shit and uh i found this article uh, that really you know really talks about it properly so um this is by miss tayo Barrow. uh this is opinion piece via uh, the guardian and it's called, Why Are Black Rappers Aligning Themselves to the Right? Great question. Let's hopefully get an answer. Scrolling through Twitter a couple of weeks ago, I came across a clip of right-wing commentator Tucker Carlson interviewing, interviewing a face I never thought I'd see on his platform, Ice Cube. As in, fuck the police, Ice Cube. What planet am I on right now, I found myself thinking. 
In a two-part segment, Ice Cube and Carlson commiserated about cancel culture and cast doubt on safety of COVID vaccine. Quote, it was six months, kind of a rush job, and I didn't feel safe, unquote. Ice Cube said about his widely publicized resistance to the COVID shot. He also claimed that he's been banned from appearing on the talk shows The View and Oprah because he is too much of an independent thinker. Uh, it, th- it seems Ice Cube has become quite the conservative media darling lately sitting down with not just Chuck Carlson, but Joe Rogan and Piers Morgan as well. He's joined a long list of rappers, Kanye West, The Baby, Kodak Black, Lil Pump, who have all put themselves in dangerous proximity to conservative politicians, even as right-wing populism threatens to destroy their communities. Kanye campaigned for Trump. Both Lil Wayne and Kodak Black publicly supported the former president after being pardoned by him on his last day of o- in office in 2020. Trump even brought a supportive little pump uh, out to a Michigan rally where Trump introduced him as Lil Pimp, while the baby was also very vocal about supporting Trump's second bid last year. We could try to excuse his behaviour or dress it up as opening a dialogue or crossing the aisle as, well, as much as we like, but that is not what this is about. So what do these rappers have in common with, with right-wingers who wouldn't otherwise touch them with a 10-foot pole? Shared values. In discussions about money, gender identity, public health, and a variety of social issues, rappers and right-wingers have a lot more in common than you'd immediately think. Many people from both groups share hyper-masculinity, conservative Christian values, and a distrust of social institution, institutions, justified or not. And on this common ground sits a messy and dangerous alliance full of people who ordinarily would hate each other, but have come together to make vulnerable people their enemy. Ice Cube, for example, is a well-documented anti-vaxxer and has expressed bigoted views on gender identity, as have many of his colleagues like Baby, Boozy and others. And when it comes down to the raw cents and dollars, modern-day world solidarity between mainly black rappers and powerful conservatives isn't entirely surprising. I want to put a pin in that because that is exactly what is going to be my answer, so I want to put a pin in that. Um, ownership in hip-hop is whiter than ever, and the nature of music itself has become increasingly capitalistic. Rap is no longer the embodiment of African-American resistance it once was. Now it's a hyper-commercialized cultural assembly line that has somehow been redesigned to glorify the very issues it once pushed so hard against. That's why society's current obsession with back billionaires and one percenters as success stories constantly fall so flat. The notion of building individual wealth as a means of collective liberation, is as sinister as is stupid. We know that black wealth hoarding can't save us, and that recreating the violent architecture of capitalism, but with black people in the positions of power, of course, does nothing for the plight of everyday African Americans. Still, hip-hop legends like Jay-Z continue to peddle this demented lie, because that is the very function of capitalism. Keep the poorest in society busy, providing cheap labour, while they chase an impossible dream. Then there's the pseudo-intellectual bunch who masks their self-serving motivations as elevated political awareness. Say what you want about Democrats and what they have or haven't done for black people in America, but Kanye West campaigning for Trump wasn't some stroke of genius. It was one of the most self-hating and objectively stupid moves that a person in his position could have made back in 2016. But Kanye's thirst for relevance combined with a pathological desire to be contrarian and his new hyper-religious bent made him the perfect kind of Trump-loving troll. As many rappers gain inordinate amount, uh, inordinate wealth and power, they're increasingly exposed to the ways that all of that can also be a gateway to political influence and social dominance. These men don't want to be- don't want a better America for black people. They want one where their worldviews are advanced, re- uh, regardless of which enemies they have to sleep with in order to make that happen. <coughs> Jay-Z NFL. And while black voters obviously don't owe loyalty to any one political party, some rappers do function as community leaders in many ways, and they always have. That's why I feel like a killer Mike's mentions <laughs> has to come here somewhere, but I probably won't. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, was like, uh, as community leaders in many ways, they, uh, and they always have, that's why their allegiance, uh, their allegiance to the right needs to be called out now. The custodians of rappers and art form have a duty to be responsible with their platforms. And when I say responsible, I'm not talking about respectability politics and pearl-cutching about raunchy lyrics. I'm talking about the stuff that materially affects black people's lived experience, like what kind of politics to adopt and why. What's what's perhaps most fascinating about all this is the fact that many rappers are willing to align themselves with white supremacists 
not in spite of their marginalization, but because of it. I don't blame black people burned by decades of generational disenfranchisement and then walloped over the head with illusion of meritocracy for trying to keep their place at the top no matter who they have to play nice with. But romancing, fear-mongering xenophobes uh, isn't keeping us at the top. It's digging a pitiful hole to the bottom, a new low from which black people's community will not recover if we don't put a stop to it now. Yeah, um, this whole conversation, um, and it is a genuine conversation to have, um, is very just worrying to me. Um, I find it very just uh, troubling. Um, and, you know, this intersects with a lot of other things. Uh, but, oh, excuse me. And, um, but, you know, the capitalism end of it is uh, really just, um, I think, a, a large part of it. Um, you know, is I feel like people, a lot of them just can't get their, into their heads the idea of a... Um, of like, uh, you know, maybe they have the idea of a class consciousness, right? Um, in their lyrics, they probably do, right? But that aspirational attitude and that, um, especially the dedication to the concept of meritocracy um, is just a little bit misguided and a little bit foolish, if, if we're being completely honest. Uh, it's just it's just a little bit um, absurd. Um, but... You know, I wanted to, where did I put a pin? <laughs> I, I, I totally lost the bit where I put a pin. But, you know, it comes down to that. It comes down to the, um, yeah, the ownership in hip-hop is wider than ever. And, you know, it's funny how, um, you know, there's some there's some artists that, you know, uh, perpetuate anti-Semitism instead of just going for whiteness. It's right there. It's right there. It's so easy. It's so easy. It's so easy just to say whiteness. It's so easy just to chalk it up to whiteness. Because it is. It's all whiteness. Capitalism. Whiteness. <laughs> Ownership. Whiteness. It's all whiteness. Meritocracy. Whiteness. It is all whiteness. There is no black capitalism. Right? It don't, that, that, that is contradictory in its concept. Black and capitalist doesn't make sense. It just, it's an on-starter. It's an on-starter. And the idea that people go for this is just fucking hilarious to me. Now, financial independence, of course, yes, hell yeah, of course. Fuck you mean? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down for that. But there's a difference. There's a difference because capitalism, capitalism supports whiteness, and if you ain't white, it ain't gonna support you. Um, and you know, it, you, you can point to Jay and all the other rich lot. Sure, go for it, man. But you ain't going to be that. <laughs> we ain't going to be that. Collectively, we ain't going to be that. And the point of capitalism is to gain as much wealth as possible. So do you think they're going to they're gonna bring it back to you? Do you think they're going to bring it back to their people? No, they're not. They're not going to bring it back. They don't pay it forward. They don't pay back. Um, they don't do any of that. So, what's the, so what, what are we going to do here? You know? Um, and obviously, you know, these are considered right-wing thoughts, right? Um, but you know, you could be you could be Labour um, and be uh, and be all this shit. You could be Democrat and technically Democrats and Labour are all this shit. Um, they support this shit as well, right? So you know, to say right wingers obviously is um, you know a very specific point to make. You know, pertaining to the people um, in uh, described in it and their views towards it. But you know, supporting Democrats and Labour over here excuse me, over here, is, you know, pretty much the same, the same boat, you know, I don't, I don't hate, I didn't hate um, Stormzy for supporting, and, you know, a lot of the rap, a lot of rappers um, supporting um, Jeremy Corbyn, because Corbyn was, I believe, was giving something different, right, but Keir Starmer, for example, I no rappers are going to support Keir Starmer, the fuck, he's just Tory Light, what's the point? Um, so yeah, it's very disappointing to see this. Um, I'm not completely surprised, um, to be honest, uh, to see the likes of Ice Cube and them, uh, doing this kind of shit. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it, it, it I, I'm sure it fucks a lot of people up that the fuck the police Ice Cube, um, is now this guy. 
Um, and, uh, you know, not black people in the monolith, etc., etc., etc. But to be just completely against uh, or completely for something that is built to uh, disenfranchise and kill in some in a lot of ways uh, uh, people that are non-white is very disheartening and very disappointing. A little update on my screen issue. Um, there is now a just a white Apache white thing going on um, just down the middle of my screen. Uh, if I go on a different uh, place, it comes up just very. It, it looks like a ghost. It looks like a te- techie ghost. It looks like a ghost made out of binary code. Um, so yeah, that's that's where my screen's at. Just because, just in case you guys wanted an update on that. Let's uh, jump on to this one. Next one is about uh, the arts and uh, specifically the concept of a tortured artist because, you know, we all love tortured artists and, you know, it's a it's a thing that we romanticise um, in pretty much any kind of world, not even the Western world, but I feel like, you know, there's a lot of artists everywhere that are just, uh, you know, that are maybe convinced that you have to have some kind of hardship, right? Um, I I wish I didn't have the hardships I do. I don't. I wouldn't quote, uh, quote myself as a tortured artist, um, but I'm a struggling artist. That's my fucking sure. Um, and you know, it's what it is. You know, people struggle, and um, the arts isn't supported well enough. Um, but the the concept of a tortured artist is um, a bit odd. Um, and I found this. Um, I found this opinion piece. This is by uh, Jackson King. Uh, who is a freelance journalist and uh, he writes via the uh, via i i news um romanticizing the tortured ice is slowly destroying culture as you know it so that's a big claim so <laughs> let's just see how that goes um, so yeah let's jump right into this one in 1990 uh, vincent van is it van gogh van gogh i keep again i'm gonna say van gogh uh, for la- for the ease of my speech uh, portrait of dr paul gachet sold for 83 million dollars 65 million pounds Plug that into an inflation calculator and you're looking at today's equivalent of $190 million, £149 million. It's an eye-watering payout for work by an artist famously plagued by poverty, ill health and institutionalisation before his untimely tragic death of 37. Yet Van Gogh, or VG, I'm saying VG, um, has come to represent the culturally romanticised trope of the broke, struggling artist who never truly enjoys the fruits of their labour. A trope that reveals we value art, not artists, the product, not the labourer. Of course, there are examples of this closer to home than the tumultuous life of a Dutch 19th century painter. The emergence of AI art and ChatGPT point to a desire for creativity freed from the constraints of hiring and paying a creator. Moreover, the current Hollywood writers and actors strikes increasing job security for writers see the folding of Vice, Gorka and Gaudem, and Rishi Sunak going after rip-off degrees, code for the arts and humanities, show that while we love to consume content, we are loath. Uh, to invest in people. In this world of unpaid internships, barely paid creative gigs, and late paid invoices, there's the sense that if you choose the life of an artist, you are, you're doing it for the joy of it. You should be prepared to forfeit fair pay for a sense of fulfillment. Business and pleasure do not mix. But this obscures the fact that even when you don't love what you do, it still takes effort, discipline, and showing up on days when you'd rather roll over. And as much as you love to make art, you like, likely love having food in the fridge more. This is really speaking to me. Um, struggle and poverty make better art, or so the mantra goes. Realistically, the exclusion of art from what we deem deserving of fair pay means the exclusion of working class and marginalised artists from creative careers. It also means impoverishing the arts and, so- and the social imagination in general, since only middle class can, uh, and above can reasonably participate of course, there's always a handful of struggling lives who manage to make lemonade from lemons, breaking through glass ceilings and overcoming financial hardship for eventual success and stability. But there are an exception to the rule. Uh, but they are an exception to the rule. Proof that the system of exclusion exists is mostly successful. Alongside the romanticization of the eye struggle, there's also the, there's also the perva- pervading idea that art is a luxury. 
proficiency in STEM subjects or vocational subjects, uh, vocational abilities like plumbing or electrical engineering are necessary, valuable skill sets. And artistic ability is cute. But a life without art and entertainment would be quite unbearable to most. Those, these pastimes are as essential to what it means to be human as food and warmth. Take your pick from the New Testaments, man lives not, uh, not by bread alone, or the suffrage movements, bread for all and roses too. Art is work, like any other, and uh, that makes our lives and uh, world more habitable and meaningful, and it deserves remuneration. Despite being an art collector himself, Sunak has a record of coming for the artists in very subtle yet manifest ways. In 2020, it was misreported by ITV that the then-Chancellor had told musicians and artists to, quote, retrain and find other jobs, unquote. Technically, he didn't say that, but it is heavily implied that the original misquoted transcript, in the original misquoted transcript, more recently, he's shrouded his disdain for the sector in the plan to tackle rip-off degrees, in which a quote-unquote high-quality university course is defined by short-term graduate career prospects. Given that funding cuts within the arts make a well-paid career inaccessible for most, and that the arts courses with the best employment prospects will come uh, from Oxbridge or Red Brick Universities, the message is clear. The arts will continue to be the preserve of a privileged few. That said, it's unsurprising that under capitalism and the leadership of an ex-Goldman Sachs analyst married to the daughter of a billionaire, we tend to undervalue work which deals with the imagination, and more specifically, that we socioeconomically discourage the blooming of lower-class and marginalised imaginations, a.k.a. those imaginations more likely to be radical or revolutionary. Imagination gives rise to hope, hope to action, and action to change. We've so romanticised the trope of the tortured, struggling lives that there's a deeply held cultural belief that art is enriched by suffering. To return to VG, for the billionaires who bid tens of millions on his works, I imagine that the artist's infamously turbulent life makes each piece more appealing. Uh, brackets, art by the guy who cut his own ear, unquote. Uh, there's an extractive relationship between art consumer and artist further emphasised by the fact that such billionaires are often anonymous and elusive, squirrelling art away from the public and into hidden collections. Which is to say, in all this, the problem is hoarding. Hoarding of wealth through artists' wage theft. Hoarding of arts' opportunities through social engineering. And the hoarding of access to art at all. If we want to see an end to the struggling artist trope, then we must struggle against the capitalist system that depends on exploitative power and labour relations. Oh, this is good. This is this is just what I need. This is just what I needed. This is just what I needed. Um, I mean, partly because I know it already and I'm aware of it, and it, you know, it it does. It pisses me off, right? That, and I've talked about this before. That art is just, um, you know, constantly, uh, just getting rinsed, right? And uh, it's just it's constantly battered, um, and. You know, watch, what are the shows that you watch, right? Think about this. Think about this. So as a, as a thought experiment. Think of the TV shows specifically. TV shows specifically. Think of the TV shows that you watch. Okay. Now, I'm going to throw out some shows. Um, just out of, just, you know, I'm just going to throw out some sh- shows for you. You may watch them, you may not. And I want you to think about, and if you haven't, I'll describe these shows. I mean, I've seen a couple of them, but I'm not going to describe all of them. But Succession, Billions, I love Billions, personally, right? Just going to throw that out there, full disclosure, I love Billions. Uh, Succession, Billions, uh, White Lotus, uh, many shows. But those three in particular, I can think of others if I um, had like a, I don't know, the Emmy nominations this in front of me, right? Um, think about TV shows that you watch. Do they cover a working class uh, person? Do they cover uh, themes that are that you would consider revolutionary? Do they cover commentary that you consider radical? Does it have um, any are the writers working class? 
I would guarantee you that most of these, the answer is no. Um, and this is the problem. While I can enjoy billions for what it is, uh, while I can understand why people love Succession, and The White Lotus, and um, any period drama on the BBC, um, I can understand that. I can understand why people like these. But these should not. These are not the norms. These are not the lives covered by by many. Say what you want about shows from back in the day, and by back in the day, I mean like from t- pre twenty ten. To be honest, <laughs> right? A lot. There was a lot of shows, a deluge of shows that covered just regular life, right? Obviously, in extraordinary maybe in extraordinary circumstances, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but still. You know, even something like, even something like superhero films, right? When you see like um, Spider-Man from you know Tobey Maguire era, right? You see like a dude that's you know, he's 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 trying to get there. He's trying to get there, right? He's he's uh, he's making he's trying to make it work. He's a smart dude, but he's still trying to make it work. His life ain't perfect, right? And obviously the superhero element, right? There's that too. Um, but then you watch like the Tom Holland version. Now, the difference is in time. Um, you know, I think uh, Tobey Maguire is supposed to be, you know, in his twenties. Um, Tom Holland's character, uh, Spider Man, is supposed to be a little younger, like teenager, high school, obviously, right? Still smart, right? Obviously, there's that. But then you go to his spot. Gives off middle class vibes, does it not? You know what I mean? Just a, uh, just, just, just a little bit middle class. Doesn't seem more. Doesn't seem that working classy. You know what I mean? And I don't know the demographics of... Um, I don't know the locations of New York that much to understand that um, where the house of Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man was in conjunction with uh, the apartment complex that um, uh, Tom Holland's Spider-Man had. I, I can't give you that. I can't, I can't give you the price differences. Maybe I'm bullshitting, right? But I just feel like there's a... Even then, there was like a middle-classness that happened because that was kind of the point with the first Spider-Man, right? That... Uh, that um, Peter Parker, Tobey Maguire was like kind of, you know, struggling and then his best mate was Harry Osborne. He's obviously, you know, rich as fuck, right? That was the point, right? That was the point. Um, But I feel like it wasn't, that wasn't a theme in Tom Holland's Spider-Man. So even with the blockbusters these days of the same IP, it's a little bit different, a little bit skewed. And that's bad. That's disappointing. Um, So... I, I, I don't know. Uh, th- there needs to be more working class writers for one thing. Um, there's plenty of working class actors these days. Plenty of them, um, and big ups to them. Um, they're they're doing stuff. They're trying to they're trying to make it work, and I respect them. Um, but I I don't know, man. There's just not enough of us. There's not enough of uh, there's not enough of that on TV. Uh, there's not enough of that in film. Um, there's enough of that in theatre. There's a lot, a lot of it in theatre. That's the only thing a theatre has. Um, I feel just over everything right now is just theatre. Just really is really good at telling stories that we care about. Um, and the and TV and film just doesn't do that anymore. Um, especially in the Western world, just doesn't do it anymore. And uh, that's highly unfortunate. Um, these stories, these are stories that are going to waste. And um, and uh, yeah, hopefully it doesn't get to the you know. Vincent Van Gogh level of just, you know, people suffering and then once they die, finally it just, you know, becomes noticed and then people start paying attention. I really hope that's not the case because that that's the most heartbreaking thought to me. That I die with nothing in my, nothing. I die with nothing and then my art, like, kicks off. Like, I want to smell my flowers. You know what I mean? I want to smell the flowers while I can. Um, if I can, ever. Um, and I want every eyes to feel that as well. Um, but that's not a universal right anymore. It's not. Uh, it's never been a universal right, to be, you know, to be honest. And, uh, you know, high time it should be.
So I finished off with sports and there's another update to my laptop screen getting more and more white. Um, it's just, yeah, now I'm getting purple fringing in places, uh, purple vertical lines in places. Uh, That's great. And uh, everything's just getting more and more greyish as time goes. So that's just outstanding. Anyway, continuing on. Um, this is uh, about my, well, my favorite basketball player. Um, the player that got me into liking basketball in general um, all those years ago. Uh, Mr. Dwayne Wade. He, along with the likes of Dirk Nowitzki, Tony Parker, Greg Popovich, Becky Hammond, and uh, I think it's the 1976, if I'm correct, US uh, women's basketball team. They got inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame this past weekend. And I wanted to give love, uh, especially to Dwayne Wade, uh, because, yeah, I just loved his game. And I loved how he's be- how he's grown as a as a man, honestly. Um, I feel like um, him and his family are just uh, really fascinating and uh, highly respect him. Uh, just parasocially, I highly respect him. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to read this piece. It's by Martenzi Johnson uh, via Anscape. It's called, I Didn't Understand the Power of This Microphone. How Miami Heat legend Dwayne Wade uh, learned to use his voice. So let's jump right in. When Dwayne Wade learned of the shooting death of 17-year-old Trayvon Martin in 2012, he didn't know what to do. At that point, the Miami Heat guard was halfway through his ninth season in the NBA, which included multiple individual accolades and NBA championship in 2006. But Wade was stuck on what to do or say upon hearing of a young black boy being fatally shot by a Hispanic man, particularly when he had a 10-year-old son of his own. But soon after, Wade made a decision. He loaded up social media and posted an old photo of himself in a hoodie. Illustrating how Martin, a resident of Sanford, Florida, and a Heat fan, was no different from an NBA superstar. Days later, the entire Heat team donned hoodies to bring awareness to mind shooting, which would go on to capture the attention of uh, nearly the entire country. Wade, who retired after the 2018-19 season, will be inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame on Saturday, obviously he did, uh, based on his accomplished career as one of the best shooting guards to ever play the game. With three championships, NBA Finals MVP, All-Stars, All-NBA, Final Four, Team USA. But what? It, but it's what Wade learned about himself in that moment in 2012 that will be a big part of his legacy. Quote, I didn't understand how to use this microphone at that time. Wade said at the Hall of Fame News Conference on Friday, we did interviews all the time. We talked about basketball, but I didn't understand the power of this microphone. The Martin photo happened during a time in the NBA in this country when it was not normal for players to speak out against anti-black racism. The days of athlete activists Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf had passed by this time. An NBA player was more likely to put out a rap album in those intervening years than attach his name to social injustices. Black athletes were seen, yet rarely heard, embodying the words of an NBA legend and business executive Michael Jordan, Republicans buy sneakers too. Wade could have chosen to ignore these sorts of issues too, after mine was killed, or Michael Brown Jr. in Ferguson, Missouri, Breonna Taylor, Louisville, Kentucky, or Amord Arbery in Brunswick, Georgia. Wade could have been like some black celebrities and refused to talk about race because he couldn't relate. But Wade didn't. He waded into the deep end of social politics, risking his reputation, which at that point had been pretty pristine. But the slaying of Martin forced Wade to become comfortable with the uncomfortable, not fearing the repercussions for standing up for what he believes in. Quote, just because we have celebrity or we have the means, it doesn't take you out of anything, Wade told TV talk host Oprah Winfrey in 2018. He even risked alienating an idol like LA Lakers star Kobe Bryant, whom Wade affectionately called Kobe, when he said referring to Maya that he wouldn't react to something just because I'm supposed to, just because I'm African American, Bryant later apologised. Wade respectfully pushed back on Bryant's comments, calling it a difference of opinion. Wade and the Heat spoke up about Martin in 2012 because they believed they had to do something. They were black men in their 20s. They were black fathers of black boys. I saw my kids in Trayvon, Wade said on Friday. Speaking up about an injustice like what happened to Martin was second nature to Wade. Florida was becoming his state. Wade County is not for play. And he believed it was perfect time to become a community leader. We wanted to highlight it. We wanted to shed light. We did not want this to be swept under the rug like a lot of killings when it comes to young black kids in America, he said. It was like an entirely new Dwayne Wade after Martin was killed. He appeared on the cover of September 2013 issue of Ebony Magazine with his two of his kids, Zaire and Zayar, then Zion, in hoodies with headline We Are Trayvon in 2016, 
Wade, along with close friends uh, and teammates LeBron James, Chris Paul, and Carmelo Anthony, opened the ESPYs Awards with a call out for more athletes to add their voices to a growing movement against anti-black racism and police violence. After a former student killed 17 students at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School nearby in Parkland, Florida in 2018, he put his, uh, put his stamp on the county's gun debate by donating $200,000 to gun control organization March for Our Lives. He later said that the proliferation of guns in America, quote, doesn't allow me to sleep at night, unquote, be- with, uh, because he had young children in school. Wade and his wife, actress Gabrielle Union, uh, moved their family out of Florida after the state's Republican Governor Rod DeSantis signed into law the Don't Say Gay Bill, which prohibits, quote, classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity. Wade's daughter, Zaya, is a transgender girl. Quote, I continue to speak out on things that I am passionate about, that I believe in, that I experience, because I know that I have this and everyone does not. Wade said in the news conference, pointing, out, pointing at the microphone in front of him, everyone just don't have the microphone to amplify that. And so it's my duty, it's my job, it's my responsibility to amplify messages and to amplify things that's going on, especially in my communities, unquote. Wade has said in recent years that the 2012 photos were a bigger moment than any of the championships the Heat won during that time. Competitive players, or quote-unquote super competitive players, like as San Antonio Spurs coach Greg Popovich called Wade at the news conference, worked their entire years just to get a sniff of a championship. And yet the winner of three NBA titles puts those accolades aside for this. Wade has accomplished many things in his basketball career to warrant inclusion in the Hall of Fame. But it's things he did when the most uh, was at stake that make him a Hall of Famer. Near the end of the news conference, Wade said his mother has always told him that his life was bigger than basketball. That it can be hard to process for someone who won championships with James and Shaquille O'Neal. But when real life finally eclipsed hoop dreams for Wade, it finally clicked. Quote, I didn't know what she meant when I was little. I was like, nah, I hoop. Then then moments happened and things happened in life and you realise I was bigger than this, Wade said. And that was the first moment I realised that my life was bigger than basketball. And, you know, a lot of this is, a lot of this is bigger than sport, you know. Um, all of this is bigger than sport, you know. Um, even... You know, congratulations to the Lionesses um, in their final of uh, the World Cup, uh, Women's World Cup. And, um, you know, uh, funny enough, when the U.S. Uh, women's national team went out, there was a lot of just backlash of just like uh, reactionaries going, dickheads, fuck off, like, you know, you lost, you lost, you lost. And it's kind of, oh, what, so you don't like them because they speak out on things that are important. Uh, that's, that was interesting. So you're patriotic until, until you, okay, right, it's interesting, right? So, yeah, it's um, it's wild. It's wild that people consider themselves patriots of a certain thing, consider themselves patriotic, and and you know, you see them for what they are when they uh when they're exposed to something like transgender issues or gun violence or anti-black racism, then they start talking different. Suddenly, it's just about you know, shut up, uh, shut up and dribble, right? It's very funny how that works, and uh, they, these those are the people that always show their ass. And they always um, give the uh, give that reasoning to just go. Oh right, so you're oh, right. So you're that guy. You ain't shit. All right, cool, cool, cool. But you know, I respected. I love Dwayne Wade as a basketball player. He's my favorite basketball player. And um, like I said before, um, the fact that he does all this um, right now um, is just I respect it highly. Um, and especially the transgender stuff. Um, Especially that, because, you know, I can imagine, right, um, black fatherhood in America especially is so ingrained, it's so steeped in, you know, masculinity and, you know, just not not understanding that shit, that kind of shit, right? I can imagine there was just a lot for him to, there was a lot for him to read up on. There was a lot for, there was a lot of unlearning that he had to do. And uh, I respect the fact that he did it. I respect the fact that he, you know, embraces Zaya for who she is. And uh, yeah, it's just um, all the more, uh, all the more respectable, uh, all the more respectable. So big ups to Randy Wade. Big ups to all the all the Hall of Fame inductees for this year. And uh, with that said, ladies and gentlemen, as my screen goes increasingly more white and grey, 
Um, literally, uh, literally everything's just fading away. It's actually fucking scary <laughs> how this is happening. Um, so yes, uh, ladies and gentlemen, from the Fifth Film Podcast Network, I'm Charlie Taylor. This has been most good intro music. has been too much by Vanilla. Thanks to Chill Music for busy track. And for a shout to Fred of Ivy and Nappy Hire for busy charismatic for the interlude. He has a new album coming. New album coming. Gonna big that up in a few, in the next few weeks. Um, you can find his link in the full show notes. And with that said, as my screen goes grey, uh, my screen gains cataracts. Uh, hope you all have a good week. Hopefully, I'll try to do the same. But until next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.